0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to The Twilight Show. My name is Graham Stanley, and my special guest today is Kamal Gita Hughes, who works as a mindfulness trainer for school leaders, staff, and students in the UK. We'll be talking today about the book Kamal Gita has written about the subject, which is called The Mindful Teacher's Handbook, How to Step Out of Busyness and Find Peace. So welcome to The Twilight Show, everyone. I'm Graham, and I'm speaking to you live from Mexico City. On today's show, I'll be talking to Kamala Gita hughes about her book, The Mindful Teacher's Handbook, How to Step Out of Busyness and Find Peace. Published in November 2022 by the award-winning Crown House Publishing, the Mindful Teacher's Handbook is a physical guide to mindfulness that will empower teachers and school staff to take better care of their well-being and find calm in the day-to-day hustle and bustle of the school setting. This book provides a lively and engaging blend of top tips, research evidence, case studies, guided meditations, and suggested exercises for all, both for those who are new to mindfulness and for those who want to refresh their practice. Now, I'm looking forward to talking to Kamal Gita about her book and about mindfulness in general and the interest in it and importance of which seems to be growing as time goes by. You can find out more about the book by going to the following website, www.crownhouse.co.uk slash the-mindful-teachers-handbook. And Kamal Gita also has a website I recommend you check out, which is www.mindfulnessinaction.co.uk.education. To all of you who are listening live, there will be an opportunity later to speak to Kamala Gita. If you'd like to, just come and join us um, as usual on Podbeam. Kamala Gita, I'm going to invite you as a speaker now. Hopefully that works. Welcome, everyone, and welcome especially to my special guest today, like Hughes. Are you on the studio, Kamala Gita? How are you today?
1: I'm very well, thank you. It's been a lovely spring, sunny day, so I've been enjoying that.
0: Fantastic. Um, it's really good to speak to you. And um, before we get into talking about mindfulness and your book, Kamala Gita, I'd like to ask you what a typical day, a typical week for you is like. Um, is your time taken up completely by mindfulness training for school leaders teachers and students
1: no so uh, I'm a freelancer and um, so mm-hmm. I've done a sort of number of things over the years uh, including being a teacher so I think that gave me the credibility really to write this book because even though I've been meditating and practicing mindfulness for over 27 years and um, I've also been at the um, cool face of the classroom so um, I don't have any highfalutin ideas about uh, what, what might happen there I know from experience so um, really it's a mixture. Um, at the moment um, I'm a chair of a charity but then I also work uh, in schools mainly with staff now so that's been a development. I started off working with the children, uh, the young people but um, after a couple of years, I realised it was the staff who really needed mindfulness, and it was more beneficial to 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 start there than to start with the young people. And I can we'll talk more about that uh, later. And then the other thing that I've got going on in my life, which is really really interesting, is I've I've got a role as a community storyteller as well, which I really love. And uh, so that's working with the community I come from in the in the Rhondda Valley. And um, helping them sort of tell their stories and remember stories of the community and things like that. So it's quite a rich a rich mix.
0: Oh, wow. It definitely sounds like it. That's uh, really interesting. So I'm sure everybody by now knows what mindfulness is, mm. but I think there may well be someone out there who hasn't come across it. So perhaps you could start by telling us what mindfulness is for you and why you think it is important and how you became interested in it.
1: Yes, thank you. Um, So how I became interested in it was that um, I was about 23, 24. I just just graduated and I was living in London. And, uh, you know, uh, when you leave university, university is a very structured environment. Even even if you know you're gonna wake up at midday every day and miss your lectures, you know, you still know that's what you're doing with your life and you're kind of supported yeah. to do that. And um, so it's one of those times, one of those crossroads in life. So I, you know, I was lucky, I was in I was in London, I had a job, but I definitely had that sense of, oh, is this all there is then? Is that is this what life's about? And um being a 23-year-old, I sort of dived into hedonism and partying and clubbing and all that kind of stuff thinking oh maybe that's the answer but I actually felt more miserable doing that so um, and then I was at the gym one day and there was somebody that I'd met at a party Uh, we were in Brixton at the time and um, she said oh I'm going to Bethnal Green now and I said oh why are you going over there because that's the other end of London and she said, Oh, well, I'm gonna meditate. I'm going to the London Buddha Centre. And immediately I knew that's what I had to do. You know, whatever, whatever I was experiencing, I realized that the, the key, the secret was, was in was with, with my mind and how to work with my mind. So that's where the journey started. And it was a very kind of organic journey because having meditated a couple of times, I, I just felt better. And from then on in, it was a bit like, well, I've got to find out more about this stuff. I've got to see where it goes.
0: Great. And um, so that's how you got started. Uh, but you ha- you said you had meditated uh, before. The connection between meditation and mindfulness is very strong. It, it, are they the same thing or is it not, not very necessarily.
1: different? Not necessarily. So they have, you know, it, there's no Question of a doubt that mindfulness as we understand it, um, you know, secular mindfulness that kind of comes out of mindfulness-based stress reduction and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, which are the roots really for all these programs, uh, comes from um the Buddha, you know, that this this mm-hmm. uh teaching of sati, which means mindfulness. And what that means is a sort of um a pre- a being present to our experience, realizing what's happening when it's happening and then being able to make a choice about how we want to respond um so and most of the time we don't do that we're on what we call autopilot so we're kind of going through the motions but we're not really there and uh and therefore life can start to feel a bit mechanical a bit dull so uh you know the the value of practicing mindfulness is, is kind of waking up to your everyday experience and just seeing um, the pleasure and also sometimes the difficulty, which is inevitably, and it's certainly inevitable, I think, in a teaching life. Um, and so for staff, um, school staff, uh, it's about really being able to be present to ourselves, but also present to the community that we serve, the young people that we really are trying to make a difference for. Uh, And that comes that, you know, there's all sorts of practical ways that can manifest like then, like listening better, you know, um, being able to be present better and and also listening to ourselves, too. And one of the interesting things that's um, happened and the reason we're talking about this, the reason I've been able to write a book is because there's been all this research done is that um, one of the things that's reported from teachers who, practice mindfulness is that they rediscover the joy of the classroom you know they rediscover um, that sense of purpose and pleasure of teaching uh, because they're not thinking about the last lesson that might not have gone so well they're not anticipating the future they're fully able to be present and uh, one of the key ideas we have is responding rather than reacting and we can go into that um, a little later what that means.
0: Oh, yes, please. That sounds really interesting. And I really love the idea of um, helping teachers to be present in the actual moment Mm. through this, because I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of teachers have so much going on in their minds, and they're trying to um, think about what's coming next and what's gone before, And I can imagine it's very uh, easy to get wrapped up in those two areas without actually being fully present, as you say, which is probably the most important thing for the students, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, again, there's no kind of shame or blame here. I mean, uh, certainly Mm -hmm. in the UK, the education system is unrelenting. And I think particularly post-pandemic, you know, teachers and school staff, you know they're not only imparting knowledge you know they're social workers you know they're counselors yeah. they're parents sometimes so you know you know there's a huge amount uh, on the plate of 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 school staff and i think that was the other thing that really Um, motivated me to write this book is that, uh, you know, certainly the teachers that I've taught mindfulness to, and it's in the hundreds now that I've uh, taught mindfulness to, um, they feel empowered by it. They feel that they can take that moment for themselves or recenter themselves, reset themselves um, instead of kind of going off down a collision course that afterwards they kind of regret doing, so. Wow,
0: yeah. And did you see a rise in interest during the pandemic or because of the pandemic, do you think, in mindfulness?
1: Um, Well, I think there's been an acknowledgement across the board that mental health suffered, you know, Mm -hmm. during the experience of lockdown. I mean, I had a son who was in year six, and Mm. to lose that structure um, was devastating, actually. Um, And, you know, there, there are you know, we're we're quite a fortunate family, you know, we've got, we've got means, but you think about all those families who live in right on the edge, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and all that support structure being taken away. I think it was devastating. And I think, yeah, we're really reaping the um, consequences of that now. I mean, I, I, I work with a, a number of heads and you know they don't want to exclude young people that's the last thing they want but but behaviour has uh, the change in behaviour has just been incredible Um, and um, I I think the profession really is in crisis at the moment Um, and I think one of the things is that you know being a teacher myself uh, and my parents were both teachers as well which is why it took a long time to become a teacher because i didn't <laughs> want to do what they've done but um but you know you can't rely on the system or you know the education minister i think we've had three years or something in yeah. the uk um or or the sort of you know the local authority to 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 kind of take the initiative in, with with your well-being you've got to take that initiative for yourself you know and again it's not blaming people but it's saying look hey there, there's these things you can do that are really quick and simple but they make a difference
0: of course um that's really interesting now if we move on to talk about your book uh, yeah, the Mi- sure. the mindful teacher's handbook I would love to know a little bit more about where the idea came uh, for writing it. I imagine, as you've, you've hinted at already, that it was a natural development from your work with teachers, uh, and school leaders and young people. Or yeah. does the genesis of the book lie elsewhere?
1: Well, uh, a bit like you, Graham, I'm a writer, and um, you know, so I, I have written in the past. I have written a novel, but it's very much in the bottom drawer. Um, oh. So, uh, uh, yeah. So I think that, yeah, I enjoy writing. I enjoy communicating, and um, I'll tell you the full story. So, for some reason. Um, I got uh, headhunted to do this this kind of fully funded PhD, uh, oh, wow. and I wanted to do it on this subject. And it seemed good, too good to be true. And do you know what? When things seem to be good too good to be true, <laughs> they are too good to be true. So That's right cool. at the, the, the last minute, the funding got pulled, and all uh-huh. that kind of stuff. And it was very very disappointing. Uh, not that I really wanted a PhD anyway. I, I just wanted to sort of uh, look at you know afford some time to sort of look into this area anyway Hmm. long story short i was sitting there wondering i was thinking right well what do i love doing and i i do love teaching i i really love seeing how people Hmm. learn and i enjoy writing so i thought okay this is um this is something to pursue and it was an interesting process really so as i said i've taught uh, mindfulness to hundreds of teachers and I knew in 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 Wales where I'm based. I knew the the teachers that have become these sort of champions. Really, that they'd they they'd managed to carry on with their practice um beyond the the course. Because that's the thing, isn't it? You do a course, and it's very yeah. it's not very easy. But you've got the structure in place. But it's when you finish that uh, what happens. So I knew those people. And um, back in the day, one of the things I've done with my life was I've, I've been a documentary filmmaker. I used to work for the uh-huh. BBC. So, uh-huh. so um, in the pandemic, um, early days of the pandemic, I really got to sort of grips, and I interviewed those um, teachers about things like, well, where do, where is it most effective for you? What 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 made you want to do it in the first place? Where do you find how do you weave it into your day? Where do you find yourself using? What's the cost when you don't do it? Uh, and out of that, um, I think I interviewed about 10 people. The mm-hmm. themes started to emerge. Um, so, for example, the the book has got chapters on um, how to use mindfulness when you're preparing for an inspection or you've got difficult communication or um an observation that was a big thing that used to come up in 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 the course this sort of dread that people had of being observed mm-hmm. um and then things like responding not reacting in terms of behaviour management but the thing is that often with these things they're seen as something uh remedial like um you know, when you're stressed, do this. But actually there's a whole quality of mindfulness which is about enjoyment. You know, enjoying right. it when yeah. it's good, soaking it in. You know, John Lennon said, um, life happens while we're busy doing other things. Yeah. Mm. So so there's chapters on creativity, you know, enjoyment in teaching and as well as self compassion, uh, and then how to some ideas about how to bring mindfulness into your school. So so it was a very organic process. And I found myself doing the sort of methodology I used to do when I was uh, a, a young documentary filmmaker, which is that you sort of script everything and then you, you kind of um, you almost have these color coded systems of coding different themes, you know, and then out of that came the testimonials and the case studies and then the writing kind of flowed from that. So it was quite an enjoyable process.
0: Wow that that sounds really interesting. I I'd, I'd love to hear more about um your the process of writing the book um and how it links with uh documentary filmmaking. But first, I I'm going to um pick upon something you've just mentioned about responding and reacting. Mm. So I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about the difference between those two things and how it relates to mindfulness.
1: Great. Yes. Um so, um, I've talked about autopilot. So, uh, you know, it's a really useful quality to have autopilot. You know, when you get in the mm-hmm. car, you don't have to do mirror signal, maneuver, and you know, find out how to drive again. You just know. Um, yeah. But the difficulty with autopilot is, it's it it, it you know ha- it can kind of take over, and particularly when we're tired or. You know, we just we're just too busy. It's so easy for it to take over. And then that just means that it's almost like uh, it's running us rather than we're running it. And and sometimes and, and this is what the sort of neuroscience backs up. You know, we've got these neural pathways in our brain and the the kind of, you know, the links between the synapses. The more we use a certain habit or a certain neural pathway, the stronger it becomes and the more it's our go to place. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can grow new neural pathways, whatever our age. So, um, yeah, so reacting is a sort of knee-jerk reaction. Um, it's it's in the moment when something happens and we just react. Um, so, you know, um, young people, you know, they, they do silly things, they say silly things, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's that that reaction, which sometimes, you know, maybe the incident is a bit low level, but it gets escalated by our reaction. Mm-hmm. So responding is that ability to take a step back, sort of see the whole picture and then decide what you want to do. And it's been really interesting talking to teachers because, you know, for example, a friend of mine who's a primary school teacher, school teacher he would say you know there'd be a bit of you know fussing or whatever in the class and he'd say what are you doing get back on with your work sort of thing and he says no he doesn't he just sort of observes what happens and he says often the fuss just passes and the kids just settle down on their own so it's sort of using that wise judgment really Um, and you know it's really important that teachers keep with the strategies they know that works but maybe just bring a bit more awareness to them you know and um and another thing that somebody else said was you know as soon as there's a problem i want to sort it out because i want everyone to get back to their work but actually if you sort of do it as a kind of problem solving exercise then maybe you know maybe a child is upset with legitimate reasons and it's not it's not going to work you know they need a little mm-hmm. bit of time and your attention. So it's, um, and I think the biggest thing possibly with responding is just to give yourself that moment, give yourself that space and and then make a choice rather than just some sort of knee-jerk reaction that's happened before you've really decided. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it sounds to me like it's a very sensible, logical and uh, very good uh, idea and very good advice with reacting i think it's uh, you know it definitely um could lead to an escalation of the of the of, of whatever's caused the problem or whatever and and could actually end up being a very negative loop i suppose mm-hmm. whereas what you're saying is that responding is very different because it's trying to be more intelligent about uh about the situation and gather more information i think is that would that be right yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. About? Absolutely. And to do that, you need to just give give some space, first of all, to yourself, you know. Um so, you know, if there's this idea, well, I'm the teacher, I should be in control, you know, if if there's a sort of ripple of something that shows that they're questioning my authorities. Do you see all that sort of thinking, you know? Yeah. Uh that that's not very helpful. Whereas it's you know, if it's a bit like, okay, well that's happened with him over there. Let's just wait a minute, let me just take a breath. Let me send to myself, you know, Johnny, are you okay? Is there something going on, or whatever you know whichever way you want to phrase it um so um yeah, so it, it, because it's so easy to become polarized, and particularly when there's no time, I mean, this was my absolute motivation for writing the book. It's like how do you write a resource to help people? Uh, with their well-being when their basic problem is they have no time or they feel like they don't have any time you know and that was the big difference that i saw with um you know the regular mindfulness courses where some of them are uh, asking you to do a 40 minute body scan a day well forget it mm. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know it's like how can we give people strategies that they can Uh, put into practice right here right now because as you know Graham people crying out loud for this you know Uh, they love the job you know they love they love the teaching they love the kids but they're on their knees you know and they need help so
0: yeah so that that, that's really interesting I think just to sort of pick up on uh, something you 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 kind of just said this idea that teachers have that they don't have any time are you able to in the book or through your training show that the reality is that there is some time available um to teachers for for this and they have more time than they think they have
1: yes so the the way i've done that is to start with really simple things and think of Mm -hmm. things that might only just take a couple of minutes you know yeah or um Becoming more aware of doing something when you're doing something. So when you're walking across the school, you know, um, or walking from a classroom to another if you're in secondary, then just just taking your time with that talk. I mean, I'm not saying about doing zombie walking you know, or doing, you know, really slow walking, but just <laughs> you know, taking the breath, noticing the environment rather than, you know, just thinking about what the next thing is gonna be. Um or, you know, a friend of mine who's a head of department, she, um, you know, she says there's a staff toilet and she just really takes her time going there. She takes her time washing her hands and that takes about two minutes, but she feels better for it. She feels more centred after it. So, you know, if people have an interest and they find um, some of these practices useful and they want to go on to meditate for ten minutes a day, whatever. That's great. But actually, what we, you know, what I wanted to encourage was for people to take those moments during the school day and before the school day as well, and after the school day as uh, as well. Um, and uh, and you know, I know for myself that uh, I spend quite a lot of time scrolling through my phone. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's time yes. I could be doing something else. so messing around on Facebook or whatever, so there is time, but again it's that autopilot, and I think particularly when you're tired, it's so easy for those sorts of distractions to come in, really
0: Of course, of course yes, I think the s- spending less time on our phones is something that all of us could do uh, and benefit from uh, myself, definitely included yeah. um, Kamala Gita, I I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about exactly what the contents of the book, book is. Um, in, on, on the website, it says that the Mindful Teachers Handbook is a practical and engaging resource to help everyone in schools bring mindfulness into their lives in a meaningful way. Could you elaborate a little bit about uh, the contents of the book and what any potential readers could, can find there?
1: sure so practical that's a really important word for me i think it's got to be practical it's got to be something that you can put into practice right now um Mm -hmm. and feel the benefits so um so basically it's a number of chapters based on the themes as i was saying um and there's a sort of there's a basic pattern to each chapter really um which is you know, uh, so there's an introduction that talks about the rationale and the research base and, and things like that. Because, again, teaching different teachers, you know, there's different ways in for people. And some people, you know, they possibly do yoga or something already. So they're quite interested in that kind of mind, body, spirits. But other, for other people, the science is really important. Mm-hmm. Or for other people, it's it's the sense of um well i'm just i'm interested in growth mindset or something like this and how that would mm-hmm. align to teaching and learning so you know just acknowledging there's different ways in um but the the chapters they're, they're very very practical so they they there's a sort of sense of uh, you know there's a there's a rationale and a bit of a case study and then some exercises to try um and also space then to journal or or, or kind of record uh, your uh, experience of that because uh, what we're doing here is we're offering a toolkit and some things mm-hmm. will be more relevant than others and we're all different so it's really important to have a lot of variety in there um, so you know me- you know mindfulness doesn't have to be sitting still for 10 minutes with your eyes closed it could be going for a walk a mindful walk mm-hmm. It could be doing some mindful stretching uh eating etc uh, etc et um and yeah going back to uh, when this, this sort of failed phd happened and i was thinking well what kind of how would i like to write this book um and maybe it's maybe it's coming out of being a, a writer as well of somebody who's got you know loads of notebooks with scribbles and doodles and all that sort of stuff in it I wanted to be it to be quite spacious and for people to make it their own so being able to write down their reflections that they can go back to and and more of a handbook in the sense of you know when we all do our PGCs we've got that that book on behaviour management or teaching and learning that we go back to again and again you know and i know jeff petty's a huge hero of mine and i tend to go back to his you know evidence-based teaching and things like that so i wanted it to be that kind of book um that it's not a sense that you just read it once and there we are it might be that you know you get home one day and you think oh i just had a really really uh, hard communication with that parent today where's that chapter on uh, communi- how to use mindfulness in difficult communication. So that that's mm-hmm. what I wanted—really practical, um, but but given the re- the the sort of rationale, uh, the why, because the why is really important, isn't it? And then yeah. different ways you can put it into practice, and lots of choice and lots of variety. And there's also a series of led um, mindfulness practices by me that you can access from the book as well, that are recorded and online. So. Yeah,
0: lots of, hopefully all learning styles covered there. All right, great. Um, and what about yourself? Is, is there a particular things that wor- work for you um, in mindfulness that uh, you said that, you know, different things to work for different teachers, for example, different people? What about you? What is it that you particularly find valuable about the aspects of mindfulness that you uh, in your yeah, book
1: thank you thank you that's a really interesting question because you asked about the difference between meditation and mindfulness and meditation mm-hmm. in a um, in a in a traditional sense it's not just about becoming present being present is about becoming Concentrated and absorbed, and things like that. So, I had you know a long standing meditation practice of uh, an hour a day or something like that. But when I had uh, children, that wasn't possible to meditate for that long anymore. And uh, also, then a work in life where you know you're out of the door at eight mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning and things like that. So, so what I found really useful are these shorter. Um, practices like one or two minutes mm-hmm. um that allow me to recenter myself and reset myself because going back to this um sati you know the roots of of mindfulness, yeah. which are in um buddhism you know sati is a moment to moment awareness you know and every moment is a new beginning you know every moment we have a choice And that is really liberating and uh, quite empowering. So in a way, it doesn't matter what's gone on before. I mean, okay, there might be something to mop up there. But instead of, you know, if you start the day and you spill your coffee over yourself or something, it doesn't mean that the whole day (laughs) is written off then, you know, or there's an incident at the beginning of the day. It doesn't mean that the whole day is written off, that we can choose, you know. uh, But we need to give ourselves um, the the tools to do that because uh if something stressful happens that alights you know that that lights up our flight flight freeze system yeah. and if we're not careful our nervous system is just jangled the whole day then and more and more sort of things will go wrong because we're reacting not responding so um it's about being able to think okay that's just happened let me give myself a moment you know feel my feet on the floor feel my breathing Okay, let's carry on uh and these things can take thirty seconds. you know it doesn't have to take a long time, so I find myself frequently just checking in perhaps even every hour of the day, you know, just for a minute or two mm-hmm. just to sort of note um you know what's happening um and uh yeah, and it, it that means then that I feel. Most of the time, I feel more in the driver's seat with my life. You know, I feel more that I've got the initiative. And again, that's something that can happen in schools, isn't it? That you can feel that you lose the initiative quite quickly because it's such a busy environment. And, you know, you've got to answer this phone call and -and so-and-so's come in from the schoolyard because they've fallen over and this and that and the other. So again, giving you know, getting that initiative back I think is really
2: important.
0: Yes, definitely. I, I totally agree with that. I think um, and what's interesting I think about what you've just said is is that you know we can't control or predict everything that happens to us, but what we can control is our reaction to it. Absolutely. And, and mindfulness seems to indicate that it's a strategy for helping you deal with the things that happen that are unexpected um, and that potentially could cause a kind of negative loops and you can sort of avoid that from happening. Would you say that would be true?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things it creates is a bit of inner spaciousness, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that can get squeezed out um, when life is really busy actually and, and relenting.
0: Of course, so I I really like the idea of your book being a handbook as well So a book that I imagine not only can you read from cover to cover From page one to the end Mm. But also that you can dip in uh, to different sections Mm. And find practical activities, try them out um, Depending on the circumstances, etc I think that's a really good idea
1: Exactly that,
0: yeah So Kamala Gita I think you said that you would be happy to lead on a short mindfulness practice session um, during the show which is something that uh, teachers can then try out for themselves should we should we do that now?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: Fantastic.
1: So the first thing is just to be comfortable. Um, so we're not, you know, we're not sitting on the floor in four lotus here. Um, so just, just uh, whatever you're sitting on a chair, or perhaps you're lying down, even. Um, just, just, just making yourself comfortable. But um, just having a, a sort of as best you can. Just trying to sort of sit tall. So there's a sense of A sky cord uh, from the crown of your head, just pulling you gently up. So all our spines have a natural curve, but there's just a sense of alertness in our posture. And hands can be resting on the thighs or uh, whatever. uh, whatever, Perhaps you're sitting by your table, they could be resting on the table. Feet on the floor, um, if you can. Uh, uncrossed, because when we place the soles of the feet on the floor, that helps engage the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our anti-fight, uh, flight, freeze system. Mm-hmm. Okay, and just taking a breath, and eyes can be opened or closed as you wish. And let's just roll the shoulders back as well. So just having that sense of uh, being grounded feet on the floor, but also alive and alert in the posture. So one of the things I talk about in the first chapter is about creating the weather in the classroom. And uh, what we may not realise is that as teachers, uh, we play a big part in, in the weather or the mood of the classroom. And if we're unaware of how, what we're thinking or feeling, then that sort of, sometimes that can just seep out. So what we're gonna do here is just, just tune into our internal weather. So just to start with, just have a sense of yourself sitting here. Perhaps just noticing the sounds around you, outside or inside. And shifting the focus of your attention to your chest area. Just noticing how it feels. Does it feel tight or loose? A bit tired perhaps? Just seeing what's true for you. And then we're going to just pop the question in there of well, what's my internal weather right now? What's my internal weather right now? And just allow in whatever comes in answer to that question to emerge. So just being patient with yourself, something might not come straight away, but it might be that there's an image or just some sense of mood might be bright or dull foggy sunny rainy whatever it is it doesn't matter just just registering for yourself what your internal weather is right now And as you do that, you might just have a sense, a felt sense of it somewhere in the in the upper body, like from the heart or the chest or perhaps in the belly. And if not, don't worry. But wherever it is, just, just focusing in on your breathing now. And we're not trying to change the breath. We're not trying to breathe in any particular way. Just allowing the breath to come and go, but we're being more conscious of it. We're bringing our awareness to it and noticing the sensations. Perhaps your mind's wandered off and that's what our minds do. So not worrying about that, just bringing it back to these sensations of breathing once more. And whatever the internal weather is, there's no question of trying to fix it or change it. It will change in its own good time if it needs to. So it's just a sense of being aware, acknowledging how it is for us right now. then becoming aware of the whole body sitting here once more, feet on the floor, bottom on the chair. When you're ready, wiggling your fingers, wiggling your toes and opening your eyes if they've been closed. So that's called uh, The Emotional Weather.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much for that, uh, Kamala Gita. Um, I was interested in noticing just how bad my posture was before you told me. (laughs) How to change it. Oh. So I was hunched over the microphone, sitting sort of cross-legged on my chair, um, kind of with bent shoulders and not feet on the ground, sort of uh, my feet sort of resting back on the uh, uh, on the borders of the, not the tips of the toes. And actually following your instructions and putting the uh, soles of my feet, firmly on the ground and sort of thinking about my posture and, and the breathing as well, uh, just just that small amount of change has made me feel better. Mm. It's, it's quite a surprise, isn't it, sometimes mm. that we, we're not it, – it's what it's all about, I suppose. We're not aware of exactly what we're doing to our bodies or how it's affecting how we feel Absolutely. until you do something like that.
1: Absolutely, and you and you know something as small as just adjusting our posture. I mean, it's interesting that uh, Professor Paul Gilbert, who um, runs a whole uh, department in the University of Derby on, um, you know, uh, compassion and self-compassion, they do quite a lot on posture, and you know, just that thing of rolling our shoulders back sitting tall it really can affect our mood and we just feel mm. more confident or whatever it is so um it is really interesting this mind body link and fascinating really that this is something that goes back to a lot of ancient religions not just buddhism and yet now science is sort of proving uh, what these ancient teachers teachings say so it's it's really fascinating
0: yeah, definitely. What about things like? Would can mindfulness help with um, with insomnia, for example, with helping people to sleep better at night? Yeah, I, think?
1: I I understand. So, I mean, there is um, the research says that, and there are specific books you can buy, and certainly, um, I, because one of the things I've developed in the last few years is is working with heads and senior leaders. Um, sort of allowing them to have that space for themselves because um, anyone in leadership knows that it can be quite lonely sometimes, particularly for heads. And um, uh, one of the, the participants who came said she she just slept the best that she'd slept in years uh, while she was uh, doing the course. And she actually had an inspection mid-course and she said for that week everything went out of the window, you know, she didn't do any active mm-hmm. mindfulness, but she said she was had slept so well in the run up to the inspection that she just felt really resourced, you know, really sort of, um, uh, bring it on, you know, uh, rather than, you know, that, that, that feeling of feeling frazzled, you know, so, so yeah, there's certainly, um, there's certainly specific books on mindfulness and sleep, um, that experts have have, have written but uh, anecdotally a lot of people tell me they sleep better uh, yeah. when they practice it. particularly if they do a practice in the evening as well like one of the practices is um, some mindful stretching so again you know it's not we're not talking full-on yoga here we are just uh, again doing simple stretches and becoming aware of them and people find that really useful to release tension or there's a body scan in there you can do and people certainly report that they sleep really well after doing
0: something like that. Of course. I can imagine as well, just the um, for anyone who is practicing mindfulness uh, on a regular basis, you will get to the point where you're able to sort of bring your mind to the present rather than mm-hmm. maybe some of the things that are keeping you awake and not letting you sleep. And so to fully relax, so it will help anyway.
1: Because because I suppose, you know, I suppose what the psychology has shown is that, you know, we've got this faculty of attention Mm -hmm. and um, really mindfulness is about becoming aware of what is it we're attending to. And how to shift that focus of attention. So, mm-hmm. for example, something that can happen in the middle of the night, and particularly again, if you're a teacher or a head, uh, is you wake up and suddenly you start thinking. You think about all the things you've got to do, or you you replay something that's happened before, and. Um, you know, it's not like that, it's not particularly uh, purposeful thinking. It's just sort of running over things, going around the washing machine, and that can be exhausting. And of course, that can lead to further anxiety and sort of feelings of stress, uh, which means that the next day then we're, we're pretty frazzled. Um, so when the mind starts thinking, at three o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. it's really helpful to have a way to shift that focus of attention then to the breath or to the sensations in the body or to sounds, you know, to another object. Um, And, and this is, you know, this is the, um, you know, this is one of the key skills, really, the kind of core abilities, this metacognition to become aware of what's happening when it's happening and choose, you know, sometimes we have really wonderful creative thoughts and we want to follow that train of thought. That's great. You know, but, mm-hmm. um, it's more about, uh, you know, well, overthinking and ruminating is certainly a characteristic of depression. And mm-hmm. um, uh, Mindfulness based cognitive therapy, which is something that was developed in the UK Uh, and is offered on the NHS now and has been proven to be shown to be at least as effective as antidepressants. Um, That's what it looks at. It looks at being able to step back from thoughts and um, being able to shift this focus of awareness.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. Um, So I have seen in my own work with teachers and students and, and mm-hmm. colleagues I work with that mindfulness uh, is, is effective and it continues to grow and I know people benefit from it and I've definitely benefited from attending sessions about the subject um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, even, uh, you know, in this short period of time I've been speaking to you about it, I'm starting to become even more interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have, and i suppose I'm in the same situation as a lot of teachers, for example, yet to embrace mindfulness and make it part of a weekly or daily schedule. Mm-hmm. And imagine that is definitely the case with many teachers, even those who are very interested in it. Mm-hmm. So apart from reading your book, of course, how can teachers start to incorporate mindfulness mm-hmm. into their mm-hmm. daily routine so they can benefit from it and f- make it grow?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think the book is really designed for that, actually. It's designed for beginners, but it's also designed for people who've perhaps done some mindfulness, but then, you know, fallen off the log with it. Because mm-hmm. we all, you know, going back to these neural pathways, it's going to take more than a few times doing something to yeah. to have that embedded. Um, I, I mean, they say, don't they, that scaffolding a mm-hmm. habit to an existing habit uh is is a really good way to introduce and embed something in your life, so there's lots of options really It could be that and you know we're just talking about taking the first step now, but when you're in the shower, you know really sense feeling the sensations in the shower you know the 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 temperature of the water you know the smell mm-hmm. of the soap you know the kind of uh the 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 relaxing of the muscles with the heat you know. Um, and enjoying that rather than thinking about a class that you're going to teach that morning Um, or if you're a runner you know lots of people run because that's the way they de-stress or at the end of the run perhaps just taking a few moments to uh, feel your body feel the breath things like that cup of coffee first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. instead of scrolling through your phone really enjoying that coffee perhaps sitting by your window you know uh, and just allowing the, the sounds there's lots of different ways that we can bring this in and mm-hmm. they are simple but I think we do have to be purposeful about it and again you know it's just the age we're living in I mean you know you and I are old enough to know probably Graham but mm-hmm. you know the world we live in is just 24-hour stimulation isn't it and we get this message yeah. that you should never be bored because there's yeah. all these things to see and do and, you know, uh, everything's sped up and yet, you know, we've still got the minds we had two and a half thousand years ago. So in a way, it's it's no wonder that we get overwhelmed and frazzled, you know, mm-hmm. So, like, you know, somebody said to me once, a teacher who was on a course, he, he said that a phrase had come back from his um, childhood of something like, you know, a moment enjoyed is not a moment wasted or something like that. You know, that or that line from poetry, isn't it? That what is this life is full of, uh, uh, sort oh, of yeah. care that we don't have time to stop and stare. And it's just giving ourselves that chance to stop and stare a little bit more and, uh, you know, enjoy those moments. Because and and that can that can open up in the classroom as well. You know, the smile a student gives you or you know, that, that sort of creative buzz you get when you're learning together, you know, uh, or uh, that student exploring a subject and really you can see that light bulb going off for them. You know, these are all things to be celebrated. You know, why why are the difficult moments, why do we uh, privilege those more than the, the positive moments? Well, it's because we've got this negative bias, you know, in our brains that... Mm-hmm. The mind is like, they say the mind is like Velcro for bad experiences. You know, it's, it's, we stick to that and we think that's more true. And Teflon for good experiences. Um, you know, for teachers, I'd say, when was the last time you really accepted a compliment? You know, I was like, <laughs> that was great. You know, it's, it's so easy for us to say, oh, that was nothing, you know. But actually saying, oh, thank you, you know. So, and I I think this is particularly important in teaching at the moment because it's so challenging you know we've mm. lived through unprecedented times and um there are so many challenges uh, that are going on at the moment i imagine globally you know i don't imagine yeah. it's just in the uk and no i think you're and right so, and so again it's that brain training of being able to to sort of take in the goods as well and see that it's it's all experience, you know, it's all this flow of experience. So not kind of honing in on the negative and kind of sticking to that and ruminating on that. You know, really opening up, it's like opening the lens of a camera, really opening up our our, our lens of awareness and, and being able to take in the good because there's a lot of things to be enjoyed and celebrated in life as well.
0: Oh, definitely. I think we... We all spend so much time as well doing this that uh, it's very important to be able to enjoy it. Mm. Um, you know, I'm sure most, if not all, teachers have entered the profession because it's something they feel they um, enjoy as well as mm. can uh, obviously give others uh, the benefit of their experience and, and knowledge of. Mm. But the mm. idea of being able to get back to enjoying the actual, uh, the life of a teacher and of education, I think is, is an important thing for teachers to do if you can.
1: Mm, absolutely. And I think the other thing that's really important about teaching, and I can say this with some sort of confidence, because, you know, I saw my parents, as you know, through their teaching lives as well as myself, you know, it's, it's a great... Um, example of camaraderie between peers Mm. as well and colleagues you know the friendships that are formed and I know that when people step out of that they really miss it you know Mm. uh, sometimes people for whatever reason they decide to have a career change um, and they say oh it's not the same you know even though it was unrelenting with all the marking there's a real sense of this shared project and a valuable project. You know what could be more important than um, you know helping young people develop for a future that we don't know what it's going to be yet. You
0: know exactly. And you quoted the begin the beginning of a poem, which I think is called Leisure. Uh, earlier, it's quite funny. I'm just going to let you know that that took me right back to my school days because yeah. our head at one point. Uh, made every single person, every single student in the school, every teacher, spend some time writing out that uh, poem uh, mm-hmm. because he was shocked at one point that no none of the students that he asked could recite any poetry, mm-hmm. so he made us learn that poem through like uh, that. writing it out, and yeah. we have to learn it by heart yeah. it 's quite funny yeah, but um yeah.
1: We all had that poem, didn't they? Mine was Westminster Bridge. I had to learn that by heart and I still remember most of it.
0: All right. But. And what, one of the things I found as I get older as well, Kamala Gita, is that I find I am less guilty about mm. time not doing things or not full of um, activities. Do you think what you were saying before, was this idea that there's so much choice that we have now yeah. there's so much we can do that it's tempting to fill every single minute or second or hour of our lives with activities and to try and make us feel productive We're yeah. actually just sort of A couple of things I do you know standing on the balcony um Mm -hmm. here in Mexico City and just Mm -hmm. watching the world go by and not feeling guilty about not doing anything because this is something of value to do is something that works for me and then another thing is I have uh, we have cats and just sort of spending time with the cats and just understanding that that is a valuable thing to do to observe them to play with them to just just to be with them, I think um, I really benefit from and get a lot of pleasure from. Of course,
2: oh,
1: that's lovely. And again, you know, there's research that shows that pets are really important, and mm. that spending time with a pet, and um, you know, particularly stroking a pet, you know, that releases oxytocin, which is you know that sense of belonging, that sense of everything's okay with the world, uh, which really uh, counteracts. Acts Fight, flight, and freeze. So uh, that's a thing. And I feel very, having lived in Mexico City myself, I feel very. Oh, really? <laughs> on your boundary. Can I ask you what area of Mexico City you live in? I don't know if I'll know it, but. Cause it's-
0: um, in Condesa.
1: Oh, yes, I know the country well. So I used to live in the Colonia Roma, which is just now. Oh, yes, very near. So, yeah, yeah, I can imagine those buildings. They're absolutely beautiful in La Condesa. Yeah,
0: yeah, we're very fortunate to live in the, if you know the street, Amsterdam. It's like a tree-lined boulevard.
1: I think I do know it. Yes, I do. Yes, yes.
0: And Um, so the view from the balcony is just of lots of trees uh and birds and squirrels hopping around so it's uh, a wonderful there's always actually something to keep your attention on because of the birds the squirrels and recently lots of wasps for some reason (laughs) not so nice but
1: okay but you know just going back to what you were saying graham guilt this is a big one this is a big Mm. one for teachers i hear this a lot you know um and teaching is a, a caring profession, isn't it? It's like being a doctor or a nurse or a social worker or whatever, you know, you're very focused on the other. Um, so this is one of the things we tackle in the book about burnout, you know, because you can't, yeah. can't fill from an empty tank, you know. And um, it's really interesting because usually... Teachers and school staff come on my courses because they want to learn to teach mindfulness to the children. Mm. Yeah. And you start talking about all this stuff, and they're like, Yeah, 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 but I'm not here for me. I'm here. And then about three or four weeks in, they say, Oh my goodness, I needed this. I didn't realize how much (laughs) I needed this, you know. So uh, again, you know, um, what is guilt? It's sort of feeling you ought not be doing something, you know. Mm. And, you're a human being like other human beings why are your needs less important you know so i think it's really it's something we need to sort of uh, it almost needs to be a guilty programming <laughs> for teachers, really. and again, definitely I think it's just something to do with being unrelenting that you know that you will make that extra time in the morning to meet with a prayer and or meet with somebody after school or whatever it is because the stakes are so high um, yeah. but at the same time it's it's uh, you've got to see yourself as part of the mix really
2: Hmm.
0: yeah yeah definitely I think what you said was quite interesting um, that the teachers a lot of the teachers doing your course are doing it because they want to introduce mindfulness to their students Um, one of the things that just before the pandemic uh, on a program that I was involved in the idea of um doing short five-minute mindfulness sessions for students was introduced, um, and a lot of the teachers um, were doing it, but without, I don't think, without having sort of been given enough training or and an understanding rather than training about what it is and what it was meant to do. So they were going through the motions of actually doing yeah. the mindfulness activities with the students, but without fully embracing the idea of mindfulness themselves, which I think was probably a little bit of a shame because they probably didn't do it with a kind of good – i want to say good intention or at least without really fully understanding the reason for doing it they were doing it because they were told to do it rather than actually trying to understand the benefits of it
1: definitely so i think it's um i would definitely encourage people to start small and build because um uh, this happens a lot and um it's it's one of those things you have to be able to walk your talk yeah you know, young people and children—they're so perceptive, aren't they? you they know. Yeah. Say no. uh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, so, so yeah, this is—it's really, really important. And interestingly enough, there's been this major study done um, in the UK over the last five or six years. Um, uh, so it was funded by the Wellcome Trust. It was a multi-million uh, a, a randomized control trial and um on uh, it was some it was called myriad which stands for my uh, resilience during our adolescence and uh you know there were the big players there Oxford University Cambridge University Bangor University um you know all the King's College all the sort of big guns in terms of sort of mental health research and <clears throat> what was really interesting because it was a randomized controlled trial um the if you are if you are already were doing mindfulness or you had an interest or you'd even inquired you were ruled out so it was completely blind and right. and and the, and the teachers were trained quite quickly and then they went on to 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 do do it with the students and that was compared against a kind of normal phse curriculum mm-hmm. so so it was this situation where people, they hadn't had, you know, they certainly weren't fluent in it and maybe they weren't interested in it, delivering it. And so the results were, from the student point of view, was really disappointing because students were saying, it's boring, why are we doing this? It's got no more value than a PHSE curriculum. Okay, so mm-hmm. that, was, that was, you know, that was really difficult for the programme. However, mm-hmm. what what did come through in the data was how um how important it was for the staff you know that staff's well-being really benefited from from this program and also the data showed that it made a difference in terms of positive school culture so in some ways you know this whole thing about got to teach it to the students got to teach it to the students well if you're being taught by somebody who's regulating anyway who's regulated and is not you know flying off the handle with every disruption and kind of able Mm -hmm. to be present that is going to benefit the students you know so so there's there is a sort of shift it's almost like we were looking down the wrong end of the telescope right and there has been this shift now of thinking well isn't it better to sort of um, resource a workforce so that they can be more present and alive and respond, and and then the, and then young people will share their lives more with them, you know? Uh, because, yeah. because if you feel like you're going to be shouted at, or you you know you're not going to open up to somebody uh, about what's going on, so that's that was really interesting because and it was kind of the timing that my book was coming out and and the reason I. Wrote a book for teachers rather than a book for students was because I, you know, I, I work for um, some of these projects that do the teacher trainings for students and they, they're great trainings. Um, but I could see it well, there's no good me going in there once a week as an outsider teaching this stuff. Wouldn't it be far better uh, if staff? Did it because they know the children and more mm. importantly they know you know they know where safeguarding is they know where counselling is they know the sort of all the extracurricular yeah. help and um, and at the same time just seeing how stressed stressed the staff were and how much they needed it and and just you know it, it will just by it can't have, not benefit the students if of some course, are more emotionally positive so that's been a really interesting thing and that's why I decided to focus in that in this kind of way um, and I do think that it's really important to, uh, there's so many of these initiatives, they become sort of top down don't they and we're all going yeah. to do this and so I think for it to be meaningful it's better to um, start something small really and allow it to build so just starting with one or two minutes in a day you know uh at the mm. tutor time or something like that where everyone takes a breath together teachers included because again you know there's no good just putting on a youtube clip of somebody leading a mindfulness meditation where the teacher sits there marking you know that's just
0: no. <laughs> yeah i'm guessing it's very ironic as well if uh, a teacher w- Um, feels that they want to introduce mindfulness to students but they don't actually they haven't actually embraced it themselves I don't think as you said it wouldn't work would it really
1: no exactly and I think this is why the sort of the senior leadership courses we do now are so important as well I mean wanting Mm -hmm. to support senior leaders but also then even though they might not go on to deliver it or you know they you know very few senior leaders still have sort of uh, classroom time they still are aware of what it is and what it isn't and so you know usually that member of staff who's got a passion to make it happen who'll say you know I'll run a club at lunchtime I'll do something they can then support them because again uh, as you know from your experience you know anything that's going to become uh, real will need some sort of senior management mandate uh, and support.
0: Yes, of course. I, I'm guessing as well, if you want to do some this with students, what you've already suggested is to start small, uh, just a minute or so, um, and to sort of try and gauge the benefits that they have as well. But, but also perhaps it would benefit from not even it's not even necessary to label it as as well, isn't yeah. it? It's it's I remember when again, I've just remembered at school, um one of our I think it was our English teacher doing uh breathing exercises be, to calm us down before yeah. um before a class. It wasn't That's called that. anything. It was just that idea of trying to get us to actually focus on, if we've come from the playground or whatever, get us to shift our minds away from what we've been talking about or doing uh, previously towards, you know, the present and being in that classroom with that teacher and with the other students. Absolutely.
1: And that readiness, readiness to learn and one of the things i talk about in my book is about transitions because school days are full of transitions you know yeah. and yeah. it's so easy in those transitions to go into autopilot so you know uh the class you know fall back in after a wet lunchtime or wet wet break time and they immediately you know the fight flight freeze can go on right like, everyone sit down come on we've got to do this uh and um it's it's not going to work. Whereas if you, there's a sense of getting people in and right, we're just going to take a moment together, all together, I'm going to do this as well. Um, and again, there's practical ways you can do this. There's something called finger breathing where you can be tracing uh, up and down your fingers and there's a sort of exercise about it in the book and, and breathing at the same time. And uh, again, that's something that can take a minute or two um, mm-hmm. But can really have a result, and it's quite tangible as well. Because for some some students, focusing on the breath is 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 not great because they may have asthma or something like that, and yeah. uh, feel a bit panicky. So, doing something like tracing the fingers, and so you know, it's just about starting small, really, and doing things together. And yeah, there's loads of programs to go on to train to afterwards if that's an interest. But it does mean that you can't feel the benefits just by starting already
0: of course of course and what's next for you then kamalekiti you've already said that your focus has sort of moved towards senior leaders and staff rather than the uh, students and um now with the book are you are you planning on on doing anything else would there be a follow-up book in the future do you think um, um not at the moment,
1: but I mean, I'm I'm actually doing something very, very exciting. Uh, I feel very privileged, which is I've got this whole cluster project with mm. my old school. Right. So the comprehensive yeah. that I went to and the primary school that I went to and the other schools in the cluster. And um, because it's my old school, many of the heads are my schoolmates.
0: Oh, <laughs> so wow. They know each other really, really well.
1: <laughs> and there's a great sense of trust between us. So... I'm working with the leaders and with staff um, to, you know, to to sort of bring this in. But the thing that we got funding for, which I'm really pleased with, because I feel like it's the missing piece of the puzzle, is to work with parents as well. Um, oh, interesting. Because, um, because parents need this too. Uh, of course. So, uh, it feels like it's kind of having a complete circle then and I suppose um one of the things that I the ideas I had was a bit like when we introduced 20 years ago family literacy and things like that and 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 young people and parents would learn together hmm. of doing some of these sessions together so that they can support each other uh at home um I mean you know it's a poison chalice because sometimes my son says to me go off and do that mindfulness thing mum you know you <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, it's all kind of pot calling kettle black. But it's better to yeah. be able
1: to do that than to, you know, um do or say something you might regret later. So and my son's becoming an adolescent now, so I am definitely taking a lot of breaths at the moment. <laughs> in the territory. Bearing in mind that I was the world's worst adolescent. So, you know, definitely uh, the chickens coming home to roost, but um yeah, so so that, that feels really exciting. Um, uh, It's early days, I think, Graham, really. I think that, we, <laughs> you know, like with what happened with this Myriad study, you know, there was a method and people thought, oh, that's the method. But then actually the focus has shifted now. And I think particularly post-pandemic, well, we're not even post-pandemic, but certainly with the schools being closed, I mean, I think... I do understand why that happened, but I, I, I really think we're going to be reaping uh, the consequences of that for years. I think, that
0: yeah.
2: yeah,
1: certainly, I'm hearing um, just just how difficult it's been, and um, and even even getting students back into school. I don't know what it's like in Mexico, but um, it's you know just just just. Um, yeah, this thing about, well, you can learn from home on the computer, why would you go to school, you know, and they, these are not sort of alternative education parents, you know, mm. um, it's just, it's become far more mainstream. So, um, and as one had said to me, and some of the people who've, some of the kids who've been home educated should really not be being home educated, you know, they should be in school, yeah. you know, because of their background. so... So it's, it's, it's all to play for really. And it's all about trying to understand in this climate. uh, Well, I suppose what started me off on the journey in the first place is like, like, how do we work with our minds, you know, and how do we um, create the conditions that our minds can 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 kind of manage difficulty, but also really thrive and Enjoy and be creative, and all the rest of it. So maybe something will come in the future. But at the moment, my 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 um, emphasis is, is getting the book out there. And um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. So if you need any sessions in Mexico City,
0: Mexico <laughs> in <Ghana. laughs> Fantastic. I'll definitely keep it in mind. Um, I think just just to go back to something you said there. Um, one of the things about the pandemic, I don't know if you, if it's your, uh, if you agree with me or if you've seen this as well, talking about doing, um, you know, getting parents involved in this as well. Mm. Um, I think one of the things that definitely I have noticed with, uh, with what happened with the school's closures and the, uh, young people at at home etc is that there was a greater appreciation and value of the school and the role of the teacher because of that because you know with the students at home and a lot of parents forced uh, into taking a lot more responsibility for education of their of their children I think that immediately gave them a as I said, a greater appreciation Mm. of of the teacher, of of the role of teaching and learning in the school. Is that something you've noticed as well? And would that be one of the reasons why there's an interest in mindfulness as well from parents? Um,
1: Yes, I have heard that from some quarters, actually. I think particularly uh, professional parents who like me who were trying to do a job and trying to educate their children at the last, uh, at the, at the same time, I I did have that sense of, oh gosh, I don't know how teachers do it. Um, Mm. I think it was really tough on the teachers actually, because a lot of them had their own children at at home. Um, Of
0: course.
1: I mean, there were these hubs, uh, but I, mm, I think it was variable how much teaching went on at them in them. Um, So, yeah but um yeah it it's really really interesting um I mean certainly the communities I work in, which is mainly the south Wales valleys you know mm-hmm. the 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 there's a lot of people who are sore you know i mean the bits in some cases as kids don't come to school, they don't get fed, you know sore right you know, and actually the Welsh government have committed to doing preschool meals over the holidays and things like that so i think you know the like there's a slightly more kind of i mean there was a real survival mechanism and i think part of it is is sort of helping those parents because there's been so much anxiety really um helping those parents you know get back to some sort of um Brain terminology correct signal function, you know, of of not kind of um, catastrophizing and being really anxious, um, yeah. But um, yeah, we're still we're still in it, I think. So it's maybe a bit early to say.
0: Yeah, definitely. But uh, I think it was uh, in right in the middle of it when all of the schools were closed and everyone was at home. I think it was uh, very very. Uh, difficult wasn't it yeah. um Kamala Gita you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that you also did some community storytelling yeah. um I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and if and whether it whether it uh, and how it connects to mindfulness as well is that uh, yeah something yeah, that's
1: great well it's my so I was lucky enough to be um afforded this role by uh beyond the border which is an international storytelling festival um, mm. held in wales so it's just for this year but i'm hoping yeah. we can find some more funding um so yeah i i think it ties in very well because i think with mindfulness is a sense of becoming present and um aware of the inner landscape as it were uh but I and then the storytelling is really about connecting and expressing, you know, and uh, just saying those words. It, it kind of reminds me of of Mexico as well, because, you know, so much of Mexico society is about connecting and expressing, isn't it? Mm. Um, so. Um, so, yeah. So my focus is really working with the community. Helping them tell their stories, and I've got to tell you, in the ronda Valley, there's a lot of stories. You know, mm. everyone's got a story. I can imagine, um, and um, and of a change in life, really. You know, that the, the, there was so much um, so much activity around the mines and things like that, which have all gone now. Uh, but but you, you know, there's so many kind of characters and sort of stories of the landscape and things like that, and. I suppose, you know, going back to young people, which is, you know, one of the focuses with mindfulness is, um, I don't think that, you know, not a sense of being stuck in the past, but I think we can tell stories to understand ourselves a bit more and to kind of bridge, bridge, uh, uh, bridge the gap between past and present to future. So it's like by telling the story, we kind of know who we are, we know where we've come from. But we don't just stay stuck there. We we sort of use that as a bridge to go forward, and and so much really. I hope uh, about creating, um, creating a future is being able to imagine well what sort of future would we like, and the more present we are, the more we're kind of aligned with our values, the more we're able to articulate that. So that that's my hope.
0: Fantastic, and then just. Bringing things to an end. Um, what about this novel that is in your <laughs> <laughs> your hidden in your drawer or your yeah. virtual drawer, whatever?
1: Well, it certainly needs updating. I mean, it's a coming of age novel uh, yeah. set in the Rhondda Valley. So again, it's it's ironic, really, that I'm I'm kind of back there doing all this work, and um, yeah, so very much a kind of coming of age novel. It would definitely need to be updated. Um, And who knows, maybe it's one for the bottom drawer, maybe it could be revived in some sort of way. Um, and but yes, let's let's see what's happened. I mean, it it kind of it almost got published a few times, and then oh wow, so you know, but you know, I learned a lot through writing it, and um, yeah, maybe maybe one day, or maybe it's time for a new story, who knows,
0: and maybe and maybe putting those documentary filmmaking skills uh mm. to use doing something on mindfulness is that something you might consider doing in the future as well
1: um possibly possibly if it's the right angle um uh, because there's no great car chases in a mindfulness
0: documentary <laughs> <laughs> are, are there are there many documentaries with great car chases
1: <laughs> so um yeah yeah who knows but I I suppose any sort of creativity or performance there mm. needs to be a sense of presence, doesn't there? You know. Yeah. Uh when we write or do something on our autopilot, it's it's not the best work. The sort of the best work is the things that kind of leap out by surprise or being alive to something, you know, a turn of phrase or a kind of an image that we don't quite understand but we want to write to find more about it and i suppose you know when i was making documentaries uh one of the things i loved was the interview and it wasn't just sticking by questions it was about really listening to the answers and really you know pulling out the threads um which made it quite a unique experience. Um, and the reason I did the documentary rather than fiction is because I've always believed that real life is more fascinating than fiction. So who knows? Um, yeah, they might, it might all come together in some sort of way. Uh, I hope so. Uh, but it's 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 a bit mysterious.
0: Yes, well, um, I definitely uh, look forward to actually getting and reading the book i haven't done that yet okay um and so i'm completely convinced now that i want to read the book so um i do recommend i think everyone else do the same as well and i just want to thank you very much for your your time it's been fascinating talking to you about all of the things you're involved in and particularly going to some of the details about mindfulness that i wasn't aware about before mm. and how Teachers and learners and school leaders can can benefit from it. So thank you very much, Kamala Gita.
1: You're welcome. It's it's just flown by, Graham. So yeah, thanks yeah. very much for inviting
0: me. Been a pleasure. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, thanks. So that brings us everybody to the end of today's uh, twilight show. Many thanks to today's special guest, Kamal Gita Hughes, and all of you who joined us listening in live. And remember, Kamal Gita's book, The Mindful Teacher's Handbook, is uh, published and available now. And I'll put the link in the show notes uh, on the uh, Teachers.Radio site. So I'm going to leave you with another quotation from the description of the book. Mindfulness practice offers simple, straightforward strategies for finding peace and regaining perspective and has a solid body of evidence that attests to its efficacy. In this book, Kamala Gita Hughes provides a lively, engaging blend of top tips, research evidence, case studies, guided meditations and suggested exercises for all, both for those new to mindfulness and for those who want to refresh their practice. So, that's it for me for today. There are Teachers Talk radio shows all week on all manner of interesting topics, so please listen in live or listen to the recordings. And I hope you'll join me again next week at the same time. Bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org.